0: So, I taught myself how to code when I was 11. I wanted to build my own community on this website called Neopets.
1: Welcome to the Milk Bottle Shopify e commerce podcast, brought to you by Milk Bottle Labs, Ireland's top rated Shopify experts milk bottle labs build upgrade migrate and market shopify and shopify plus stores all over the world milk bottle will migrate you onto shopify with zero interruption guaranteed or optimize your shopify store and maximize store sales this podcast is kindly supported by our favorite shopify app and the only app we install in every store rewind.io is the leading backup solution for your shopify store We'll talk more about Rewind later. Now over to your host, founder of Milk Bottle Labs, Keith Matthews.
2: Hey folks, welcome back to the Milk Bottle Shopify e-commerce podcast. My guest today is Kelly Vaughan. Kelly is the owner of the Taproom Shopify Plus agency based in Atlanta. She is a darling within the Shopify ecosystem. She's one of the most successful Shopify Plus developers that I know. She's also a host of the Ladybug podcast, and she has a wonderful, wonderful story. So, Kelly, how are you?
0: I'm doing great. How are you doing this morning? I guess your afternoon.
2: I'm not too bad. Yeah, it's lunchtime here. What What is it, 9 a.m. with you?
0: It's 8 a.m.
2: 8 a.m. Oh, I do apologize. I got you <laughs> up. You are fairly ambitious to talk for on a podcast at this hour of the morning, so thank you very much. It's been a while. The last time I met you was, was, was it the New York event or was it Unite?
0: I think we, it, and we must have crossed paths at Unite as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, did you go, yeah. you
0: went to Unite last year?
2: I didn't go to Unite last oh, year, no, unfortunately. kidding
0: then. Yeah, I was yeah. Like absolutely absolute yeah. pursuit in New York.
2: I actually, would you believe it got married the week before Unite and...
0: You should know better. You should <laughs> never play at events around Shopify events.
2: I know, Duh. I know. I, I won't pretend that I tried to arrange my honeymoon to, <laughs> to go to, to Unite. Uh, I d- I certainly didn't. But the team was there, Locklin and Loughlin, our lead developer and Peter were there. So, so they reported back and they had a great time. Kelly, I kind of don't know where to start because... Your success over the last two years has just been wonderful to watch. You know, ourselves in Bottle have grown quite a bit. You know, we're getting some great clients, but obviously we're in a, a market which is tiny. It's probably the equivalent to a, a portion of, of your state. So let's just start. Let us know where you're based and let us know what's the story with Atlanta? What sort of place is it?
0: Yeah, so Atlanta, geographically wise, is in the southeast. Nobody really knows where Atlanta is. So, you know, when we're traveling around, we usually say it's right above Florida and they're like, "Oh, oh, okay." Or they'll know exactly. They're like, "Atlanta, Georgia." And they'll know exactly what they're talking about, which I'm not really sure where that connection comes from. But regardless, I absolutely love living here. I I did not grow up in Atlanta. I grew up in Michigan. So, I moved down south when I was just about to turn 16, and I've been down here ever since. And I I love it. I think it's like the perfect, one of the perfect areas to live weather-wise because we don't really get tornadoes. We, it rarely ever snows. So we never really have to worry about snow or ice for the most part, maybe once every four years. We're too inland to have to worry about hurricanes. So really all we really have to deal with is like the heat in the summer.
2: Good. And what's the, what sort of a city is it? Is it, what, what sort of population is there? Is there a few million there?
0: I think Metro Atlanta, yeah. I think in the city of Atlanta, it's probably like close to 600,000.
2: Funny that you say no one knows where it is. I actually used to live in Bermuda and that was one of the, the, the airport is one of the gateway cities.
0: Oh yeah. Well, that's one of the great, the other great thing about Atlanta is that we have, a we have the most efficient airport in the world.
2: You can pretty much fly to anywhere from Atlanta. I even in arranging flights now for Unite, it's funny how you go on to Skyscanner and some of those sites and once there's a drop off, they try and push you away from New York if you want to go in through the States. And a lot of the options, is it a hope? It must be a hope for Delta because I, I find Delta is constantly trying to push me through Atlanta.
0: Yeah. Delta's actually headquartered here.
2: Oh, very good. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. that makes perfect sense. So okay. I am
0: very much a like I, I will fly other airlines, but my number one is Delta.
2: Very good. So, before we talk about the tap room, Kelly, I heard your interview with Kurt Elster, who runs the a mutual friend of ours, who runs the unofficial Shopify podcast. One of the things that I was intrigued about in that interview was the fact that you never actually learned to code, other than basically yourself taught. Just give us the give us the background on that.
0: Yeah. So I taught myself how to code when I was eleven. I wanted to build my own community on this website called Neopets. And in order to do so, you had to learn basic HTML, CSS, just the standard basic front-end development. And that is literally the reason why I wanted to learn how to code. And from there, I was creating MySpace themes. I was selling them for $15 a pop. I built my first site for as a freelancer when I was 14 years old, and I was paid a t-shirt. It's so a really good deal for him. I still have the shirt though. It's like my first I was, dollar.
2: I, I was just about to ask you: Do you still have? You kept it?
0: Yeah. Well, actually, my dad did. So oh. one of these days, my dad just sent. Like he texts me, and he's like, "You will never imagine. Like you'll never believe what I just found." And he sends me a picture of this super like ratty shirt. It is missing a sleeve. It is super dirty. He's been using it as a dust rag all these years. And he finally put two and two together to realize where that shirt actually came from.
2: Well, I I was just about to suggest that you frame it and put it up in the the top room office, but obviously you're not going to do that because it's dirty.
0: Oh, no, I'm going to put it up in the office.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Very good. So you taught yourself how to code. And another thing that intrigues me about people is where on earth they found Shopify. So how did you come across Shopify?
0: I kind of stumbled into it. So I was so also to kind of back up a little bit. I went to uh, undergrad and grad school for something completely different. So I have my my bachelor's in psychology, and I have two master's degrees in public health and clinical social work. So completely left field. Wow. And I was freelancing through college to help pay for school because school or university in this U.S. is really expensive. And I ended up connecting with somebody on Twitter who said, "Hey, I have some extra work. I I need some help from a freelancer." And I'm like, "Hey, help me! I'm poor." And he reached out to me. We connected, and I was working on some WordPress sites for him. And he's like, "Hey, I have this other project for you. I don't really know much about the platform. It's apparently called Shopify." If you want to split, you know, go ahead and dig it and see what happens. And so that was kind of my first foray into Shopify, just customizing a theme for, for a merchant. And I immediately loved it. Just the, the way the theme was structured. I didn't have to code in PHP, which is an immediate win for me. And yeah, so that was 2014 where we first, I first started working on that. So I actually, I became a Shopify expert in October, 2014.
2: So, by the time I think I found it in two thousand ten or two thousand eleven, so by the time you found it, it was a pretty well developed platform, and the growth and the surge had started at that stage, hadn't it
0: oh absolutely yeah it was it was wild just how many how many merchants had already existed at that point, and you know that was we're talking like five and a half years ago and, and so it's even it's even surged beyond that like what last year they they passed a million merchants
2: passed a million merchants, yeah. I remember when I found it, yeah, I think it was 2010. I I'm nearly sure, although as you get older you do imagine things, but they used to have the number of stores, number of merchants on the front of the website. Yeah. With software, traditionally with software and you know, ten years ago, software always was created in the States, went to Canada or Australia or the UK, and it was never ever available in Ireland. So When I found Shopify, I remember the front of the site said 15,000 merchants worldwide (laughs) and it wasn't available in Ireland. And then it went 25, 50, 75, 85. And when it got to 125,000, I remember they they dropped it from the front of the homepage. So I would say at that point, by the time it got to 100,000 or 125,000, it was probably accelerating that much that someone said. Now we we would we'd have to update it every day or every week. So
0: yeah, we can't keep up uh, with this anymore.
2: Yeah, now this, it's funny that the stat is now back on the site. Did you find Shopify like most people? Uh, somebody introduced you to it. You built a store. Obviously, you built a number of stores. You got accredited as an expert. At what point did you kind of think that you know what maybe my two degrees aren't the way forward, you know, maybe I'm more interested in this side hustle. At what point did a kind of click that you could make a living out of
0: Shopify? So I, kind of funny, I realized that I didn't want to use my two degrees about halfway through my grad degree program. So I still...
2: That happens to most people, by the way.
0: Exactly. I went straight through from undergrad to grad school. I did not take any time off. So it was, I don't know how to, don't know how to do math, seven years of straight, College, which is a lot. But yeah, so I ended up getting a fellowship at the Centers for Disease Control here in Atlanta. They needed somebody who uh, had their master's in public health who also knew how to code. And not surprising whatsoever, I was the only applicant. So I was, she went for the position and I was still freelancing at that time, but I was making more money freelancing than I was through the fellowship. So the only reason why I didn't quit that fellowship program was because I needed it for the health insurance. So once my husband and I got married in 2015, I jumped ship and I went all in on freelancing full time. And I was still... I was about probably 75% Shopify, 25% WordPress at the time. And I was using the WordPress. Uh, I had a, a long-term WordPress client that I was using basically to pay the bills while I was building, continuing to build out the Shopify portfolio. And once I felt comfortable at that point, I think I dropped WordPress in February 2016 and went all in on Shopify.
2: Did you think it was a risk at the time or were you confident with the platform that you were, you were doing the right thing?
0: Oh, I totally felt that, like it was a risk. I mean, putting all your eggs in one basket is always going to be a risk, but I only saw Shopify growing. So I felt like it was a, a chance worth taking. I also real, like you know, recognize that working in e-commerce in general is absolutely not going anywhere. So if I had to pivot at some point to like a different platform, for example, I think my, my, my e-commerce development skills are translatable to multiple platforms.
2: Yeah, very clever. And the other thing, of course, Kelly, is if anything did go wrong, you could pick up another platform like BigCommerce if you really needed to.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Thankfully, I haven't had to.
2: Yeah, like ourselves, we haven't had to either. And, and, and some people are doing that and they're probably making a decent living out of both. I remember when I found your website first, I went onto the About Us page and I was intrigued to find that your team was entirely female or was entirely female at the time. Is that, is that by design or coincidence?
0: It's by complete coincidence. I think I was attracting more women to join the team because the more women that were on the team, the more like, oh, this is really cool. I'm going to keep on growing or I'm going to, I want to join an all-female team as well. I think we hired our first male contractor in, was it last year? I think it was last year.
2: Very good. And ha- has anybody like commented on that or like... Oh,
0: totally. Yeah. I've been told that I'm discriminating against men. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, hilarious.
0: That's on the negative it's- side. On the positive side, we attract a lot of female merchants because they're like, I love that you're a team of all women, or now a team of like a majority women, and that you're female owned and operated. Because I feel like you can really cater to who it is that I'm marketing to. And we use that as a sales pitch because we we know how to market to ourselves.
2: That's funny you say that because I I would too. But the other thing is, is that like, I don't know, you, you just mentioned that you had a lot of female customers. I would honestly say that the split between male and female inbound leads that we get is definitely in favor of women. There's more female entrepreneurs out there that seem to be attracted to the Shopify platform than men in our experience.
0: Yeah, I think I'm seeing a lot of the same. Again, there's also the level of the fact that we have a lot of women reaching out to us just because we are a team of majority women. But absolutely, even like the introductions we get as referrals from our our tech partners, they're majority women. Uh, Interesting.
2: Okay. I suppose you could probably do a study on that. But anyway, we're probably too busy to overanalyze. (laughs) And before we started talking this morning, you mentioned about your workspace in Atlantis. So what's the structure of the team? Are you in an office within a workspace? Or is it like ourselves? Is it a hybrid model? Do your your team come to the office once a week? What, What sort of structure do you have?
0: Yeah, so we're a majority remote team. So we have about a little less than half of our team is in the metro Atlanta area. But everyone else is spread throughout the US with one person in Scotland as well. I do have an office space at the same co working space I've been working of for the past four years now. And we do have a second desk in here, our project manager comes in once a week to use that desk. Otherwise, it just sits there.
2: Very good. Yeah, similar to to the way most Shopify agencies are working. Isn't it wonderful to think that you can go online and talk about the fact that you have, you know, a team member so far away in Scotland? Isn't it a wonderful age that we now live in?
0: Oh, I absolutely love it. And I love that I I think that's one of the the major benefits of of just having a remote team in general is you can your your applicant pool expands so quickly and you meet the coolest people who are living all over the world who are incredibly talented. And the one in Scotland is extra special to me because she is actually one of my best friends and she got married last year so I got to experience my first Scottish wedding.
2: Ah I remember that I saw the <laughs> I, I saw the posts on Twitter that's that's yeah and now I, I've just mentioned the word Twitter for those of you who don't oh know boy. Kelly <laughs> Kelly I can't talk to you without uh, talking about Twitter. Kelly is a uh, What's the best way to describe it, Kelly? Very active on Twitter—is that the
0: best way to describe? Yes, it? Yes, let's put it that way. I am—I'm rather active on Twitter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> did you always have that kind of quirky sense of humor, or did you learn it as you beca- as you became a more experienced developer?
0: I think it's it's developed over time. I've always had that that bit of quirky sense of humor, but. As my my platform grew, I found more and more opportunities to just test the things that were going through my head. And the really great thing is that if if you like say a really dumb joke and nobody likes it, you just delete the tweet. (laughs)
2: For those of you who don't know, and we'll put Kelly's details obviously in the show notes, Kelly has a, a very strong Twitter following. Kelly's shared moments and shared tweets are a mixture of humor around the development What would you say, the development ecosystem or is that, how would you describe it? Just amongst developers, I guess.
0: It's a developer community. So my audience is kind of split. It's still vast majority developers, but I also uh, do a lot of e-commerce tweets as well. Just commerce in general, a lot of direct to consumer related tweets, just things like that. So it's a really, it's really interesting when I post something that's e-commerce related and a bunch of developers respond And quite often, like, for example, I I tweeted something in relation to transactional emails and adding to your your flows on Klaviyo, for example. And I had a bunch of developers reply to me like, oh, you just want to spam all your all of your customers. I'm like, you're not in this field. Please
2: stop (laughs) talking. It's interesting. They released results this week. I'd say probably as a result of of Mr. Trump, their user numbers and their their traffic is up. Some people seem to think that they can basically argue or it's a forum for a platform for argument when in actual fact, on on the Shopify side, you're, I suppose, similar to me and Millbottle, you know, there's, you do tweet actually very interesting pieces of information which are actually helpful to people in the e-commerce space. But I suppose some people can't tell the difference between sometimes your humor and actually your, you know, your informational tweets, I guess, which is what you have to put up with.
0: Exactly. And sometimes like one of my informational tweets, like about more recent ones was around subscriptions and it how important it is to actually have that email to give you a heads up that your subscription is about to renew. Despite the fact that people will churn because of it, it is a sign of good customer service. And that is, I guess, a more relatable tweet beyond the the shopify or e-commerce space because i had a lot of developers replying to that one from being a customer to a subscription service so it kind of worked both ways in that case
2: let's take a short break and i'll share the one app we install on every shopify build the team at rewind.io have developed the leading backup solution for shopify did you know there is no way of recovering lost data from a shopify store rewind.io automatically backs up your store data. In the event of a data loss, usually due to human error, Rewind enables you to rewind your store back to its previous state. It's so simple and is used by some of the world's leading Shopify agencies, such as Kurt Elster of EtherCycle and Kelly Vaughan at the Taproom. If your store is gaining traction, you may have multiple users making changes. Often store owners allow team or app developers enter a store to add code. Sometimes mistakes happen and data gets deleted. You can reduce your business risk today and prevent a costly catastrophe by installing the Rewind.io app on your Shopify store. Get your first month of Rewind for free by simply responding to any of the welcome messages or emails you receive after you begin your seven day trial and mention this podcast. Now, back to the interview. I I remember that that was quite recently, actually. The tweet made perfect sense. So I suppose really what you're, you're doing there is not to make a bore out of your Twitter account, but you're adding more (laughs) value. So in other words, people come to us and people come to you to say, look, I want to add 10 or 20% to my Shopify store. You say, well, if you've got automated email, chances are like us, you'll say, let's set up these flows with Klaviyo. That email and that piece of information that you just mentioned is actually adding more value because you're not just, that's based on experience and based on seeing the kind of the opposite effect. So what you're saying there is an actual fact that if you give people the opportunity to unsubscribe, before they're charged, that in actual fact, they'll appreciate it and they may actually stay subscribed. Isn't that the logic there?
0: Yeah. And also, you avoid the customer support request of people who say, hey, I didn't mean to get charged again. Can you cancel my subscription and refund me? And then you, you know, enter into that territory. You're like, well, do I refund them? I mean, obviously it's going to vary from business to business how you want to handle it, but it adds extra friction to the process in general. You can also use your, hey, your subscription's about to renew email as an opportunity to upsell one-time products with your next subscription too. So, I mean, there are a lot of things that you could do with it, even though people might churn, you can actually end up, creating more value out of that email.
2: Yeah, absolutely. In following you and, you know, in in conversing via Slack, you are as intrigued with Clavio as I am, aren't you?
0: Oh, absolutely. I absolutely love it. It's,
2: It's probably one of the first tools, obviously, besides Shopify and besides apps, has an instantaneous effect on client revenue. Exactly. It's actually very hard to explain that to the client before you're trying to upsell the fact that I'm going to charge you for this, but don't worry because you're going to get 10 times the revenue back.
0: Yeah, it's, it's kind of like one of those like you can't really say I guarantee you're going to make money from it, but I guarantee you're going to make money from it.
2: We've never put it into a store and not gained money for the client. So Exactly. Kelly, I've heard you talk in the past. Obviously, I'm in Europe and I'm following Plenty of people on LinkedIn and Twitter, and there's two kind of terms that I'd like to just dig into: DTC and which is direct to consumer, and headless Mm e-commerce. And when that term headless e-commerce was coined about six or nine months ago, you were one of the first people that I know that tweeted or put up a message. I think it might even be on the Slack group that we're in to say that you're in the middle of your first headless e-commerce project. Can you explain to the listeners what headless e-commerce is?
0: yeah so basically, what happens with headless e commerce is you're you're decoupling your back end from the front end, so it allows you to use whichever systems make the most sense for your company. in this case, you can use Shopify as the back end of your site, so you 're storing all of your products there you're storing a lot of your content there, but maybe you need your very content heavy as far as like blogging goes, so you want to use a platform like Contentful to actually store the content side of things. And then you can take those two systems to have you, you have Shopify and you have Contentful who talk to a third system that is actually the front end of the site that your customers are going to be interacting with. It it really opens up the opportunities for how, when you have a more complex setup for a business, how you really want to structure that, the the world is your oyster. But does that
2: pose a risk for Shopify or an opportunity? So in other words, if you have a massive multi-site portal with 25 different international domains and you only want to use Shopify for a a tiny part of one of those domains, you would use Shopify for the e-commerce portion and then leave the rest the same. That's right. Yeah, so, but what we would do with most customers is migrate the entire... International operation onto Shopify is the future of it that it's an opportunity for Shopify to go to places where they never went before, or is it an opportunity for other customers just to take the little pieces of Shopify that they want?
0: It's it's actually both. I think it's a really great opportunity. It's it's a it's a definitely a value proposition on the Shopify end because you have these more complex enterprise level merchants who couldn't really fit into the box of what Shopify or Shopify Plus has to offer that they need to use these these other systems that they already have integrated into their, their company. And by opening up the, the storefront API on Shopify's end, they've now given those merchants an opportunity to take advantage of what they need from Shopify. And they're able to use Shopify to actually power the commerce part of things while still keeping all of their other systems intact.
2: Okay. So for you then running an agency, do you have to be an API expert then to work out how it all works? Or, you know, is there is there information readily available from the Shopify side, you know, given that it's kind of early doors, although it has been talked about. But I mean, it's early, early doors for, for headless in principle, isn't
0: it? It is. Yeah, it's definitely still early. And I think the documentation that they have for for the, the Shopify storefront API, which is powered by GraphQL, it's very well documented. There are platforms out there, like the one that we are partnered with is called Nacelle. It is a Vue.js based platform. And I can I can give you the, the link to put in the show notes for that. They actually handle all of the heavy lifting on the GraphQL side of things. So really all you're doing is connecting your store by creating a private app within the store, grabbing the API key and password for the for the storefront API, plugging them into Nacelle, and then it automatically grabs all of your products, all of your pages, page content all of your blogs, everything that you need in there. And all you need to do is actually build out the front end because now you have all the data ready to go. So in that case, you don't really need to do it. You don't really have to have the knowledge of the API and how to, how to work it. Although I will say there's definitely a lot of value in it.
2: Oh, very good. Yeah, so you've described it to be simple, but obviously there's quite a bit of work,
0: <laughs> work in the back end. There, yeah, there is. And, and it's worth saying that headless commerce is not a good fit for all merchants. If you have a pretty basic setup, if you're not doing too high of revenue, I think that you need to be doing probably at least $2 million a year to really make sense for it because there are additional costs that come with having a headless setup. You're paying for multiple servers. And we're, like, your, your site is not deployed on Shopify, so you're also paying for wherever that is being deployed to, wherever it's being hosted. So there are additional costs that come with it. There are also certain apps that are within the Shopify ecosystem that don't currently integrate into these headless front ends. So basically the way that these these companies like Nacelle have had to approach things is they need to talk to the app developers who built, let's say, Okendo reviews app. And they're like, hey, we want to be able to offer Okendo to our Nacelle customers, but we need to rewrite the entire app in order to make that happen. So they have to work with these app developers to see if it's even possible. So there are definitely some apps that don't translate into a headless front end because they're just not built to communicate via API.
2: Yeah, so as you say, it suits some people and there's obviously an investment required. I'm assuming then that if you've got thousands and thousands of pages that are indexed by Google, you have to keep that old system, the old host alive
0: for a while. You can you can keep the the URLs all the same as well when you move over to Next.js. So so you kind of have that that and again, Nacelle is one of the many platforms that are, okay, there aren't that many. One of the platforms is just the one I'm most familiar with. But yeah, you have complete power over how you actually want those, those URLs structured. So you can keep everything intact in that sense. But you are, of course, pointing to a new website.
2: Kelly, I have seen some of the work that you've done, and I've noticed that probably the biggest buzzword on on your side of the world uh, in terms of Shopify and successful stores is DTC brands, which are simply cutting out the distributor channel and, and cutting out the kind of reseller channel, and they're going direct to consumer. From where I'm standing, it doesn't seem like there's too much of a difference for most companies to do that. But it's, it's a big step change for companies if they already have a distribution model or a different forms of distribution in place. So are, are you seeing many DTCs come to you for, for Shopify work?
0: We absolutely are. And we're seeing a lot of merchants who, as you said, they have these these other systems set up where they're working through a third-party distributor. Uh, like we were speaking to a client last week who basically said 95% of our business is through other retailers and only 5% is still being sold direct to consumer. And we want to grow that 5% exponentially. So we're seeing a lot of interest from merchants wanting to shift to that DTC model because it, it by removing the middleman, they're also increasing their margins as well in their products.
2: But, but for Shopify, there's no real difference. Sure there's not. I mean, you're, you're building a standard Shopify store. The consumer is transacting as normal. Are those DTC brands, are they still keeping their distribution channels in place and possibly using Shopify for, for wholesale? Or, or have you seen that?
0: It definitely varies from merchant to merchant. We see some of these merchants using Shopify to really focus on selling to directly to the customer and then keeping their distribution wholesale side separate outside of Shopify.
2: Speaking of Twitter and all things social, um, I meant to mention your Lady Book podcast, which you launched, what was it, about six months ago?
0: Yeah, we. I think our first episode launched the first week of July.
2: And like everything that you do, it just exploded very, very quickly. So, <laughs> so did. T- 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 tell us about how you met the girls and what you talk about.
0: Yeah, so we could, we're all friends. We connected over Twitter. And I don't know, I don't know who actually started this conversation, but we had a like a group. Twitter direct message chat going on. We're like, hey, what would we think about starting a podcast? Oh, that sounds kind of fun. Yeah, we could talk about all these fun little things and just, you know, kind of like this. It's a very conversational, just fun things, but also educating people at the same time. And next thing I know, we are buying podcasting equipment <laughs> and we're getting everything arranged to set up. We launched a, we did like a 10-day countdown And then launched a teaser episode, basically announcing that, hey, we have started this podcast and you're going to be hearing from us every Monday from here on out. And it immediately blew up. I was not expecting the traction that we got from that. We immediately had people, companies reaching out to us saying, hey, we want to sponsor your podcast. And like, I don't even have any episodes out yet, but that's awesome. We had somebody get a tattoo of our logo.
2: I thought that was a joke when I saw it on Twitter.
0: <laughs> no, it is absolutely legit. They got a tattoo of our logo. And okay, it is a super cute logo. Oh. Um <laughs> what but logo. Wow. that is that is some passion. I think that was when we I think we had released our first episode at that point.
2: <laughs> your colleagues, your your co-hosts Emma and Ali, are they are they more technical than you? As technical? What's their background?
0: Yeah, so we're all software engineers to to some capacity Allie actually teaches people how to code through general assembly and Emma works as a software engineer in Germany so Emma is she she went through the uh, through undergrad she has a CS degree a computer science degree and Allie started started undergrad to get a, a CS degree ended up dropping out and teaching herself the rest of the way and I am self-taught so we kind of bring different different skills to the table and it's it's really created a fun conversation since i'm very business focused i'm i'm very entre- entrepreneurially focused that's a word yeah. to say uh- <laughs>
2: Uh, Kelly, I'll help you out. You're commercially focused.
0: We'll say that. Perfect. Exactly. It's yeah, a much yeah, easier yeah. word to say. But yeah, so so it's it's really led to some really interesting conversations. And we've been able to interview other people who specialize in various areas of tech, whether it's actually we got to interview one of my friends, which that episode released this week, who specializes in building games. Like she works for a company that builds casino games. Wow. So it's it's super fun.
2: The funny thing about running a podcast is you're interviewing people and you're learning yourself as well. Like not only are you learning as the host, I mean, obviously, you know, we've met and I know quite a bit about you, but I'm I'm learning about you because you're saying things that I wouldn't have already known, but also that the listener is getting educated it's a fantastic medium. I mean, are you enjoying it? Do you find it stressful? Or, you know, for me, it's, I do, at the moment I'm doing two interviews a week and I used to get really nervous and now I I just love it. So like, where are you at? Are you really enjoying it?
0: Oh, yeah, I absolutely love it. I honestly feel like because I have so much more of a focus on the business side of things, I feel when it comes to the the technical stuff, I learned so much from Emma and Allie. And when we're putting together like a list of the episodes that we're going to be releasing for that season, I'm like, so you guys are taking the reins on this one. You're taking the reins on this one. I know nothing about this one. And it, it ends up being a really fun conversation because I start the podcast episode saying, hey, I know nothing about this. Teach me.
2: Yeah, and and honesty is the best policy. Like when I started, I remember I used to edit this bit out of the podcast and that bit, but in actual fact, you know, just be honest with the audience and just let it flow. And that's the they're the episodes people enjoy.
0: Exactly, we're we're all human, and we all have our areas of or our gaps in knowledge, and we also all say really stupid things. So <laughs> keeping those things in, those mistakes in, actually adds to some of the some of the fun of the podcast. It really makes it real.
2: 100% agreed. And, and look, it's just been fantastic talking to you. And I'm looking forward to meeting you again at, at Unite. But before we go, Kelly, I want you to plug your store. Yeah. And the, the reason I want to plug it is because this is a prime example of how somebody can take a hobby or just a thought and use the Shopify ecosystem to actually sell and transact online. So your online shop, Kayvilly, tell everybody what it sells.
0: It's all a merch for developers. It's just fun, dumb jokes or really clever things occasionally, and yeah, it's 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 got mugs, shirts, stickers. I think there are some blankets and pillows, just like a bunch of really fun stuff that uh, people love the uh, the quotes. And I basically turn a lot of my my Twitter jokes into <laughs> into products that people buy.
2: Yeah, so like it's mouse mats, is it mugs? That sort of merch.
0: Exactly, yeah,
2: and did you ever think that anybody in the world would buy <laughs> Kelly Vaughan's merch?
0: No, not a not ever and honestly it was it was actually headless commerce that started the store to begin with. I was curious about how headless commerce worked now I was working with Gatsby, uh, which is a react based front end. And I connected this shop by store for an API into it. And I'm like, I need a product to work with so I can actually sync some data to it. And so I took one of my tweets, I took a screenshot of it, and I put it on a mug. And I use a service called Printful to actually do the fulfillment. So I don't have to do any of the printing, fulfillment, shipping. Oh, it's amazing. And I, it generates these, these mock-ups. And there was a picture of... of a really sad get commit log of just me very clearly frustrated about development in general. And it was the mug surrounded by donuts. And it was hilarious. And so I posted that on Twitter. And I'm like, I just made this this fake product. And it's, it's really funny. And I had multiple people be like, no, seriously, I want to buy that. So <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I put it up on my store. <laughs>
2: In the conversation we had previously, like you were mentioning about the places that people are buying, like you've shipped all over the world, haven't you?
0: I have. Yeah. I don't know what my my country count is anymore, but it's, it's getting up there. It's at least 30.
2: Fantastic. And are you adding to it all of the time, you know, or, or have you just kind of let it sit still? And and like, does it become a diversion? I suppose really is my question. So exciting when your phone goes ching, ching.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I love when that happens, but also, you know, as, as it, it, I run three businesses now with the taproom, the podcast, and now the store. And unfortunately, the store has kind of taken last place as far as getting things done. And my husband keeps on reminding me, he's like, hey, this is free money. You need to keep on working on this. And so I actually have him starting to make products too, because he's also in IT. It's
2: very hard when you've got a few different bowls in the air. To, there's only so many hours in the day. so Exactly. But uh, Kelly, it has been absolutely wonderful talking to you. I will see you at Unite. And thank you very, very much for your
1: time. Yeah, thank you. This is a lot of fun. I'll see you at Unite. Thanks for listening to the Milk Bottle Shopify e-commerce podcast. All of our episodes are available on Spotify and iTunes. We really appreciate the support of our sponsor, Rewind.io, the leading backup solution for your Shopify store. Get your first month of Rewind for free. Just respond to any of the welcome messages or emails after you begin your seven-day free trial and mention our podcast. Until the next time, take care.